Thanks for joining Cornerstone for our message of the week. We hope you'll be inspired and encouraged. To connect with our church family and to watch our services live, download our app today by texting Sparks Will Fly as one word, app to 77977. That's Sparks Will Fly app to 77977 or by visiting us online at sparkswillfly.cc. All right, let's go to uh, Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. So, let's just pray right here. heart's full so I'm going to try to preach without crying Father we love you eyes to see. Ears that hear and eyes that see. Father, I do pray that Ephesians 1.17, that you would open up the eyes of our understanding. Open up the eyes of our understanding. Let us see with clarity, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. I feel like... uh, Last week, I know that I, um, those that know me, know that when I'm bringing something, a lot of times, man, I just, I just, just declared and just preaching uh, wide open, and it's hard to grasp everything that's that I'm communicating in in an hour that I've been feasting on for a long time but I feel like that I've got to go over this like a uh, almost like a slow rain because I feel like that we're in the transitioning I feel like we're turning really into what I believe the Lord is going to do in the next decades in this body of people and in this region and I know that others have sent me stuff and Jess shared with me something last Sunday. He said, you know, I sent you something a while back. And sometimes I'm slow to get it, but God is always faithful to bring it back around. You know, when the Lord's trying to teach you something, he'll put everybody in your circle. They'll start just communicating that same thing around until eventually you grab hold of it. Or maybe I'm I'm just not smart enough to get it on the first time. And so uh, I want to go back into this in Revelations um, chapter 1 we went into Zechariah 3 and 4 last week and I was just trying to give just a broad shotgun brush of the kings and priests but this is where we will hang out for the next little bit and this is uh, what I believe God's trying to put as far as our identity inside of us and um, let me just say this that most of the church and I'm not beating this up But one of the things, you know, most of the church, we call ourselves what? Christians. That was never given to us by God. That was given to us as a statement from the world. Come on now. I'm not just sitting here beating up and saying, don't call yourself a Christian. I'm just saying that God never called us Christians. Y'all right? The Bible says in the book of Acts, the 11th chapter and 26, that they was there for one year in Antioch. 
and it says they was they was first called Christians at Antioch in Acts chapter 11 verse 26 that word Christians means little Christ nowhere does it say our destiny is to be little Christ the Bible says in Ephesians 4.12 that Paul is talking about Ephesians 4, the fivefold ministry of God and the gifts of, to the, of God to the body of Christ. And he says, I pray, he's, he's in there till we raise to the full stature, to the full stature, to the full measure of the Son of God. That is our destiny, not to be little Christians, but to raise to the full stature of who he is. And so the Bible never calls us, uh, God never called us Christians, but what he did call us is a royal priesthood, holy, a, a holy nation. Come on, somebody. He calls us sons and daughters of God. We are not little Christians, and maybe because we are in that identity that we're just little Christ is the reason why we've had little impact in the world. But I'm telling you right now, friend, I'm telling you the church is going to have global impact Come on, y'all. I'm just telling you this is where we're headed. I don't care if I got 10 people, three people. It doesn't matter. Jesus only had 12. Come on, somebody. And then he, he, uh, he sometimes had 70, sometimes had 12, and then sometimes he had three. But he had global impact. And so to, today I just want to share from my heart what I feel like the Lord is saying concerning this, okay? So people's already said, well, we're not Christians. I mean, come on now. I'm just saying, listen to this. We're leaving out of the Christian age into the kingdom age. Come on, anybody up in here? I said, we're leaving out of the Christian age. Religion came to preoccupy man until he found the kingdom. Religion is about taking the earth to heaven, but the kingdom is about bringing heaven to the earth. Come on, y'all. It's a whole different mindset. I'm not trying to get to heaven. Come on, y'all. I'm just setting this up. Most people think eternal life happens when you die. The Bible never says that. John 17 says eternal life is to know Jesus as the son of the living God. And he has been sent by his father. So once you receive Jesus, I'm living eternal life right now. Come on, somebody. There is no death to the believer. We simply transition out of this life into the next life. All right? All right. I got to calm down. Got to calm down a little bit. So let's read this out of Revelation chapter 1. All right. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood Father we thank you Lord and he has made us and he has made us the church the beloved the born again he has made us what kings and priests to his God and Father to him be glory dominion forever amen Now, let me just say this, because I feel like there has to be a, a, a correction in this. Most of the church sees this as, as, as two occupations. They believe the role of the priest are those who serve in the church. In other words, I would be considered a priest. And then we take other people that serve in the marketplace, and we would say that those are kings, right? Those that serve in the church are the priests, and those that serve in the marketplace are kings. Let me just say that I believe that is 100% false. 
Because the Bible says he made us kings and priests unto our God. We are to function in both. That is not just a priest and not just a king, but our identity is both of those roles. And what I want to establish this morning is to tell you that the role of the king and priest, you remember when the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, God said he took his the covenant of stone that he had with Moses and he's placed it now on the in, in, inside of our hearts. So God's ultimate goal was to get inside of us to rule and reign us from an internal reality reality, right? Religion is all about laws and all of these things to control man from the outside, but the kingdom grows from within us. Are you with me? And so this is, this is not for those who serve in the church and those who serve in the marketplace. We're to be kings and priests unto the Lord. Let's go a little further than this. The new priesthood is every believer and an internal government, internal governance that influences the external reality. As priests, we worship, pray, and give thanks to God, filling the prayer bowls of heaven. And as priests, we enter into his presence and we use our eyes and ears to hear, to see what is on heaven's heart and agenda. And the function of the kingly government is to use our mouths and release prophecy, intercession, and preaching of the gospel of the kingdom with power and healing. So with our priestly role, which is what we just operated in, is we enter into that place and we fill the prayer bowls of heaven with prayer, with worship, and with thanksgiving, right? Then with the kingly role, we step in. You know, This is a perfect picture. It's in Psalms 24. This is the priestly and the kingly operating together. It says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? He that hath clean hands, a pure heart, who has not given up his soul into vanity. He shall ascend the hill of the Lord. Then he goes into what? Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong, mighty, and battered. He's standing as his kingly role now, peering in after he gets it. Who is this king? Open up, O ye gates. Come on, you everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. This is a declaration saying, open up, O ye gates. He's not prophesying to literally gates in the natural. Come on, somebody. How many knows that gates don't have heads? Realizing that we are the gate of heaven. Come on, somebody. And when we lift up our heads, come on, our authority on the earth, the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong, mighty in battle. I know this is a little bit to grasp. But just stay with me. We got some good places to go. Listen to this. Everything in your life in the kingdom is built on is built up or torn down through words. Everything in your life in the kingdom is built up or torn down through words. So listen to this. Faith activates the word and fear and unbelief stops the word. Faith activates the word. How many knows that the word is powerful? You with me? The word is powerful. Hebrews 4:12 sharper than any sword. Two-edged sword, able to divide soul and spirit. And so faith activates the word, but unbelief stops the word. Now look at this. In Matthew 25, help us, Lord. Look at Matthew chapter 25. I'm not going to read all this, but I do want you to see it. Jesus gives two parables in Matthew 25 to, to display this role. He says in the first parable, the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the, the bridegroom is coming to go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell to buy for yourselves. And while they went out to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. After, afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And then he answered and said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour for which the Son of Man is coming. Here is a clarion call to the priest's side of the church. Come on, for what? Intimacy with God. 
It's one thing to do the stuff, but let me tell you something that I see in our movement of, of, of like, like the revival movement or whatever. We want to see all the stuff without the intimacy of the Lord. We, we want to see the stuff without the intimacy of the Lord. And um, I would really preach that if we didn't have kids in here. You know what I'm saying? But we, we want to enjoy the fellowship of the marriage without really sacrificing in the marriage with intimacy of the Lord. And so here we have, we know that this, they were all virgins, so this ain't five saved and five unsaved. This is a church within a church. Come on, somebody. This is a remnant of people, what Zerubbabel saw in Zechariah, where he calls out that remnant of people out of the Babylonian captivity of 70 years to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. This is a people within inside the church that realize, man, I'm just telling you this, once you establish that secret place, you will find that he is the beauty that you long for. I'm just saying this is not religion that I'm preaching this morning. I'm telling you, I was wrecked as a teenager in the secret place with God. And, and, and this is where this is where it's built. Are you with me now? This is this is where we grow. This is where we learn him. This is where this is this is everything. And so here's the deal. In the tarry, in the, in the distance of the waiting, the five wise were continually at that place. They had to develop the secret place with God. We got so many people that think that they go to church on Sunday. We are the church on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. This is not something that we're going to. This is just a gathering together of the people of God to draw strength, to do corporate worship, and to cast a net for the harvest. So in this... They developed an intimacy. This is the priestly role. Now what is he talking about that's going to come out of that intimacy? The very next parable, he goes into a parable about investing and about making money. Come on now. Am I in the book? I just don't, I'm, for time's sake, I'm not just going to go all the way through this. But he goes into the parable of the talents about one receiving five, one receiving two, one receiving one. The one that received one went and buried his talent into the thing because he had an improper view of the father. He thought he was shrewd. He thought he was mean. Come on, somebody. And he did. He wasn't able to take risks to be able to move that talent to put it in investments. And then he had one that had five, created 10 talents. And the one that had two created four talents. Are you with me now? And so he goes back into that. Where does, where does the, the wisdom come from? Where does the knowledge come from of how to increase what we've been given? It comes through the priestly role of intercession and worship. I don't feel like I'm conveying this right. Listen to this verse of scripture. One of the things, this is one that Pastor Junior prays every morning out of Isaiah 45, 3. He said, I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches in secret places. I was talking to Danny one day this week. He said, if we honestly believed, if we truly believed that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous, we would be training the church nonstop on how to invest what we've been given to make that transfer. Let me tell you what, that transfer is never going to happen as long as we stay a religious organization to just come in here and decree that something's going to happen. We must be trained and equipped on how to handle our finances, where to invest it. And if we get in the secret place with God as a priest and worship him, he will show us where the treasure is in the darkness, in the hidden places. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you, this is the will of God. The gospel of the kingdom being preached as signs and wonders to the ends of the earth is going to take a lot of finances. And those finances are held in the dark places, in the secret places. But God wants to reveal them to us. Are you with me now? So we got to just quit this stuff of just saying, well, the wealth of the wicked is going to be laid up for the righteous. God wants to pull us behind the veil to give us wisdom and revelation on where to invest on what we have. You say, well, Pastor John, I don't have but $100. Well, the woman in the book of Kings didn't have nothing but a jar of oil. God will never, he will never ask you what you don't have. He will ask you what you do have. How many knows this? I remember a story one time of Bill Johnson preaching, and he said the lady came to service or whatever, and she needed $500. And he said that this particular moment, he did not have but $50 on him. He gave the woman $50. But he said this, he said the $500 that you need is found in the $50 that I just gave you. He said the $500 you need is found in the $50 that I just gave you. 
So this lady leaves from there and she goes to the grocery store and she's getting a few things or whatever and this family's up ahead of her. And the, the, the mom has several children or whatever and the lady in front of her is $50 short on her groceries. Now she needs 500. How many knows now she only needs 450 more dollars because God has supplied 50. Listen to this. If what you have in your hand doesn't take care of what you need, it's a seed, not the harvest. Oh my God. I said if what you possess in your hand does not take care of everything you need, it's a seed, not your harvest. So this lady releases the $50. How many knows there was voices in her ear saying, well, now you need 500 again. Listen, we never give and sow into the kingdom of God to ever become broke. Come on, y'all. I'm just trying to help us here. I said, we never give to get, we never give to do without. And one thing that the reason why I have the life I have now is my father, who didn't even know the Lord, was such a giver. And he taught me at a young age that it wasn't that I, I, I don't give I don't give. I sow when I sow money, I invest money. Are you with me now? My, someone just gave my son, uh, they saw him and and they gave him a $100 bill. And so I asked him, I told him this. I said, son, do you know the reason why they gave you the $100 bill? He said, yes. He said, because they, they were investing into my life. I said, that's the anointing on your life that people are starting to see because that's what causes people to give unto you. Are you with me now? Now, if I'm just going to give money, I don't expect no return on it. Are you with me now? But there's nobody who invests money that does not expect a return on their money. Are you with me now? And so the lady, the lady goes home and she pulls in her driveway needing $500. She gave 50 bucks. And as she does, there's a car pulling in behind her. And it was someone sitting in the service. And they walked up to her and they handed her 500. Everything she was needed contained in the small seed. And I'm just saying this, I believe in the days ahead in 2021, don't listen to the news to tell you that people are not going to make, there, there's going to be billionaires and millionaires made this year. Why not it be you? Come on. I, I'm just trying to tell you that God wants to give some dark, God wants to give some treasure that is hidden in the dark places. And the only way you're going to find that is unless you get along with God. You with me? So here we see the kings and priests in Matthew 25. We see the priestly role as being able to, to, um, to stay at that place in prayer. Then we go on into the kingly to operate in investments and making a difference and impacting the kingdom of God. Now, let me just say this. When we talk about marketplace, when we talk about a marketplace people and we use the words kings as those people that are operating in that. Notice when Ananias went to lay hands on the apostle Paul, that he said, God has called you to stand before the Gentiles and before kings. Kings are people of influence. God wants to raise the church to be able to stand in, in front of people of influence. Because if you just, I hate to just say it like this, but in, influence uh, just a sheep, I mean, you've influenced a sheep. Are you with me now? But if we read in Luke 19, when Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house, the Bible says he, was, he, was, he wasn't just a tax collector. He was over all the tax collectors in that region. He went to a high-ranking official's house. How many knows this? When he changed that man, he changed everybody that he was connected to. I say it like this. If we change a principal, we change the school. Are you with me now? You change a superintendent, you just change the whole school. So are you with me now? You touch the, the CEO of the hospital, you just change the whole hospital, everybody under his influence. And God wants to raise the church up to give us influence, that type of influence in this region and in this area. That is the role of the church. We are called to stand before kings. Come on, somebody. He told, he told Jacob, he said, the kings shall come from your own loins. When David raised Solomon up, he said, when you set before kings. He didn't say if you make it there one day. Come on, he's prophesying over him as a young child. When you set at this place of influence, I want you to be trained how to get there, know what to do and what to say. All right. Now look at this verse right here in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Now think about this. We identify ourselves as what? Christians. Well, I'm a Christian. The title was never given by God. People are going to hate that. I know they will. 
It was never given by God. It was given by the world. Acts eleven twenty six. But this is what title that God gave us right here. Look at this. First Peter chapter two. Verse four, coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones. Look at this. Who's a living stone? All of us in this room. Our living stones are being built up a spiritual house. Here it is. A holy priesthood. We're kings and priests unto the Lord. A holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices except to God through Jesus Christ. You also as living stones are being built up of a spiritual house. Ephesians talks about the dwelling place of God. This is what God is desiring to do, man. He is desiring to come and dwell amongst a corporate body of people. Now, let's get back into this Amos chapter 9. Y'all right? Help us, Holy Ghost. If I can find the book of Amos. Amos chapter 9. Verse 11. We preached this last Sunday as being the 911, the emergency call. On that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. I've been looking and studying everything I can on that Davidic tabernacle. But I want to tie something in this morning that I'm just on this journey of saying, Lord, you know, help. I'm, I'm trying to wait this out in my own life here. And I'm trying to learn how to bring application as it amounts to this body and what it is okay now this house has had for years prophesied over this what it's a Davidic house right how many's ever heard that prophesied in this house talked about it. Pastor Dale talked about it for a long time I thought about again too notice that Pastor Dale was not just he operated in both dynamics of king and priest he was in the business arena managing as a as a the chief as Amlet service he also preached the gospel Junior, also a businessman, but also preaching the gospel. I've also been in both arenas, okay? I have passion for both. I read a lot about business. I read a lot from CEOs just as much as I do from Christian uh, literature because it's all about leadership. And so on this Davidic house, now if you notice the splendor of Solomon's temple, why wouldn't God come back in, in the last days? In the last days, why wouldn't he come back and build something Splendorous, like, like, like Solomon had. Why would he choose David's tabernacle? Because David's tabernacle was nothing but a, but a tent that was stretched out. That's all it was. It was something simple. It is prophesying that God never desired to dwell in temple made with man's hand. He's looking for the tent. You are the tent of meeting. Come on, y'all. He's looking to fill the tent. This is it, man. This is it. This is the promise of his glory coming inside of you and I. I think we read scriptures like out of Habakkuk where it says, the knowledge of the glory of God shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And we think that there's something going to just happen where this massive wave comes from heaven and it just highlights his glory. Know the, how the glory is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea is people that have revelation of the king and priest of God that rise up and that glory comes in them. This is where it's going to be displayed all over the globe. It's the church coming up into that realm of glory. Y'all right. I don't know if y'all with me or not, but I, I'm just, I know you're trying to listen to it. So listen to this. I was reading this book and this author said this. He said, we got, we, if God is able to think thoughts, we must assume when he had a thought, he thought of everything. If God was able to think thoughts, we must assume that when he thought, he thought of everything. Because he's always been and he's all-knowing. 
So he goes on to talk about these these dispensationalists to be able to see dimensionless, to be able to see into another dimension. Now, what you got to understand about David, y'all stay with me right here. I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to make it good in a minute, okay? We just send the flour and stuff right here. We'll get the icing on the cake in a minute. My boys like the icing. They just reach all across the top, you know, especially John Ben. And so in David's day, he was living under what was called the Levitical priesthood. Is that correct? That's what God established through, through Moses uh, and, and through Aaron and his sons, right? The Levitical priesthood. And we know that when Saul became king, when Saul became king, the Bible says that he never sought after the ark. He wasn't concerned about the presence of God. He was concerned about looking good. But David, when he became king, when he became king of Judah, the first thing he did was inquire about the ark and where was the ark and how to get the presence of God to come back. He did not want the presence of God just for himself. He wanted it for an entire city and region. Are you with me now? So in their journey of going after this ark, he gets the Levitical order, which was used, and he gets these priests, and they put the ark of God on this new cart. Are you with me now? Constructed of boards. Come on now which is what the church has tried to use. We got the deacon board. Man, come on now. We got the finance board. We got the pastor's board, and the pastor's board is go out and hear other pastors in different regions, see if there's one better than we got, so that we can come together and find something to run him off and pack him in a U-Haul and get the other preacher. Come on, anybody ever been in the traditional church say it ain't so like that? That's exactly what we do. But listen to this. As he got all the boards and the committees together, they start taking the, the ark of God back to the city of Jerusalem, and they get to this place called Nacon's threshing floor, and the oxen begin to stumble with the cart, and Yuza reached out and put his hand to stabilize. Listen, we're never going to do what we're talking about in the arm of the flesh. That's why we read last week in Zechariah chapter 4 that it is not by might nor by power, but it is by my spirit, says the Lord. He reaches his hand out to stabilize the ark, and, and when he does, the Bible says that God's anger struck out against him, and it dropped using in his tracks. Now, how many knows this, that David and the rest of them feared God that day, and so they, they went and they parked the ark over at Obed-Edom's house. And the Bible says that the ark was there in Obed-Edom's house for three months. Come on, somebody. It says he housed the ark of God. And it said that everything at Obed-Edom's house began to change. His marriage changed. Come on, y'all. His finances changed. His kids changed changed everything. There was a noticeable difference at his house. That is a prophetic picture when you and I make the ark of God the most significant thing in our house of how everything in our lives are going to change. So David began to notice this, but how many knows this? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I don't know how to communicate this, but listen to this. William Brandon, I sent this out the other night, prophesied there's coming a move of God. This was his last prophecy right before he died. There's coming a move of God that will be a convergence of every move of God that was. Every Obed-Edom's house blessing we have seen, like Toronto, like Brownsville, like, like the Finneys, go all the way back to the Welsh Revival. There's coming a convergence of that move of God that will, that will rest on the end time generation. I'm telling you, this is where we're headed, church. I know it's hard to believe that. You say, John, how can you even say that? We're in the midst of a pandemic. Half the church is left. We got people hunkered down at the house. I don't care what I don't care what my natural eyes say. I'm saying what the Bible says, and I'm telling you what the prophetic words is because because Zechariah said there's coming a capstone at into this thing where the roof and the head's gonna be put on the building. Come on, y'all, and this is the capstone which will come, and it will be able to say to the mountains, "Come down with shouts of grace, grace." That twofold anointing of keys and pre key, kings and priests under our God. So this, this ark is at Obed-Edom's house. So David begins to, the Bible says in the book of Chronicles, he began to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord, it says this in Chronicles, you did not seek me after proper order. God is a God of divine order. Listen, God doesn't move by need. He moves on faith, and he moves on order. If he moved on need, there wouldn't be no starving children in Ethiopia this morning. God is not moved by need. He responds to faith. He doesn't respond to need. He responds to faith. And he is a God of divine order. A lot of times what we want to do is we want to run it the way there is a way that seems right unto man and therein is destruction. Come on, somebody. God never intended the church to be a business. He intended the church to be a family. And he will not come down and bless our dysfunction. 
and our disorder. When Elijah went up to challenge the, the, the prophets of Baal, he sets 12 stones. Why didn't he put 11 stones? Why didn't he put 10 stones? 12 is the number of proper government. It is also the number of the apostolic. So David begins to inquire of the Lord. As he's inquiring of the Lord in the secret place, he peers into the heavenlies and he hears this conversation. Let's look at it in Psalms 110. Y'all right? Dr. Francis Miles links this psalm into the period where the ark of God is parked at Obed-Edom's house. And this is through David's inquiring of the Lord. This is where he receives the revelation that God is about to change everything. This is where he became and he peered in to the future and he saw what you and I would enjoy today how many knows that David had New Testament worship in an old covenant what he did was completely illegal in his day David is also operated as priest and king unto his God he was a king but yet he wore the linen ephod and danced before the ark of God as a priest Look, look at Psalms 110 in his inquiring. Look at this. He said, the Lord said to my Lord, set at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. This is the Father in communication with Jesus who is seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and I. He's peering into this place as a priest. Y'all with me now? He's, he's at a place of worship and intercession. David would have scribes in the temple that would scribe as he would be in there praying and seeking God. When he writes, those that abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Perry Stone says this, he said that as David would lay beside the ark of God and the sun would arise on the mountaintop, it would create a shadow. And he said that David, as the sun would arise and the shadow would move, he would drag himself and stay in the shadow. You with me? So he's peering in and he's hearing this conversation and he hears God the Father tell Jesus, sit right here till I make your enemies your footstool. He didn't say you got to go to war and beat everything down. He says, sit right here to place a rest till I make your enemies your footstool. How is God going to make his enemies his footstool through the authority of the church? <laughs> God could have whipped the devil. There's never been a battle between God and the enemy. Come on now. He could have whipped him at any moment. But you know, what he you know what he said? Through the first prophecy given of the redemption of man was in Genesis 3.15, where there's coming a head bruiser. Come on, you, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And this is what he said. Is he's, I'm going to raise up enmity between you and the woman, right? And her seed, I'm going to come back down and redeem. Come on. And I could whip you myself with angelic activity, but I'm going to use a human being that's got a free will, mind, and emotions that could choose me or not. But the one that choose me and walk in me and intimacy with me, I'm going to let them rule as ambassadors on the earth, and they're going to rule and reign with me, and they're going to subdue and bring wreck havoc on your kingdom. Come on, y'all. So, the Lord said, the Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. In the beauty of holiness from the womb of the morning. You have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and I will not relent. Look at this. He hears this conversation. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. I remember years ago listening to Pastor Dale preach on Melchizedek, and I'm like, who is this dude? You with me? And will not relent, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, who is this dude? David hears this conversation, and he said, listen here, 
God reached out and he killed Yuza. There's a couple things. How many know Yuza was not some haphazard guy? Now, he was in the priesthood. He knew all the commands that God had given to the priesthood. Through the book of Leviticus and all, all of the law, he knew the, the commands. He knew that God said that don't touch the holy things. Come on now. And he reached out in a casual way to touch it, and God dropped him. Now, how many knows this? David's got the challenge. If he's going to get that ark, he's got to go back and put hands on it again. <laughs> Y'all with me? Now, how, how many? Let's just break this down our day. I gave us a command that we was going to go move something from Cecil and bring it to Sparks. And in doing that, Rusty dropped dead and God killed him. Now, how many knows it's going to be kind of rough to raise up volunteers three months later? <laughs> I mean, the grass ain't done growed over it. You know what I'm saying? The grave. And I said, okay, we need a team of six volunteers. We're going to go back and get the ark. We parked it off halfway. It's down there by the racetrack. It's going to be rough. Now, this is his job. But in doing this, listen, what he peers in and sees, that it was never about the Levitical priesthood that God ever desired. God never desired for one man to have access behind the veil. Come on, y'all. He desired for an entire people. When, when he went to Moses and he told him, he said, I've created you a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. It was never desired to have a relationship through the people, through Moses. We're no different than the Catholic Church, man. The Catholic Church has a relationship with God through the priest. And most of the charismatic Pentecostal movement has a relationship through the preacher that's got it. Come on, y'all. I'm just privileged to stand up here and hold the mic, but what I'm telling you is there's a whole buffet available when you leave out of this place it'll be there in the morning he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies and his mercies is new every day this is available to every believer if all you're getting is what you get on Sundays you're very weak and anemic so he says I gotta look at this Levit I gotta I, I wonder if man if there's a different order then I need to establish the people of God in a different order and get them out of this Levitical order where we got the outer tabernacle, the inner tabernacle, and the Holy of Holies. The outer tabernacle is where there was a lot of sweat going on. This is where the sacrifice was laid. Are you with me now? This is where we start out in praise. We sweat. We got to work it up like cheerleaders. But most people never transition beyond praise into worship. Worship's when we move behind the veil. Worship's where there's an audience of one. We don't worry about what the neighbor's got going on anymore. We now in communion with him. My spirit is being intertwined with his spirit and change is taking place. Come on, somebody. There's intimacy happening right here. And we can tell by those who are walking in intimacy with God because of the fruit that's in their life. If we ain't got no fruit, not giving birth to nothing, there's little to no intimacy. There is, there, there is no, there's no doubt that me and her has been intimate. We got three children to prove it. Are you with me now? Lord, I got lost right there a minute. Help me right here. Help me bring it back, Jesus. It's the same way with the Lord. So he's peering in. Who is this, who is this man, Mechazedek? So we find him mentioned in Genesis 14 to the father of faith. Mechazedek shows up to Abraham as the what? King of Salem. Salem peace, the king of righteousness. And the scripture says that he had no beginning or end. This is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ appearing to the father of faith. And what does he introduce to the father of faith? Communion, the bread and the wine. Come on, y'all. This is the body and the blood of the New Testament. David sees this and he says, God doesn't desire this Levitical priesthood. I'm not going to create an outer court, an inner court, and a place for sacrifice. I realize that God ain't after sacrifice at all. What God is looking for is obedience because obedience is better than sacrifice. God never wanted the blood of bulls and goats. He wants us as a human sacrifice laid on the altar because God wants to come inside of man. He don't want to be a pawn man. He wants to tabernacle on the inside of man. Come on, y'all. This is what he saw. And he said, listen here, I got the order. We can go back and get it, but what we got to have is we got to have sanctified priests. Come on, somebody. They got to be sanctified. We cannot roll it. We got to carry it on a set of poles, and it's got to go on our shoulders. Come on, y'all. And we're going to take six paces. Why did they take six? Six is the number of man. It was a prophetic sign. God, I've done all I know to do there. I'm going to stand, and I'm going to do an altar, and I'm going to do a sacrifice, and I'm going to trust that you can come through for me. He moves it back into Jerusalem. The Bible says he is dancing before the ark of God. 
In 2 Samuel 6, he's dancing with all of his might. He's pulled the kingly robe off. He's got a priestly garment of the ephod. And he's dancing. As Matt says, the revelation that it was a sign that he took all that off showing that he was conquered because they would bring kings back and strip them down and put them in front of the procession as a show to the people that we have conquered this king. What he was saying before the people is my life has already been conquered by another king and it is Yeshua who's already conquered my life. He's dancing in prophetic praise declaring what is about to happen to the city. Come on, y'all. That's why we don't dance. We don't wait to the field. To, we don't wait for the feeling to come before we dance. Come on, somebody. We are dancing, declaring something. When you saw like Dayon come up here and, they, and Catherine up here beating the staff in the floor, listen, I know it looked crazy. And people on the internet said, my God, that looks crazy. What kind of dance is that? We're just making prophetic de de declarations of what's coming to a city. Michael looked out. Saul's daughter. Listen to this. She had no regard for the presence of God because her parents had no regard for the presence of God. If, you're, if, the, if the presence of God is valued in your home as top supreme, your kids will have value for the presence of God. She gets upset because the king disrobed himself and became a common man in front of the people. I love his response to her. He said, if you think I was crazy in that service, you ain't seen nothing yet when the glory of God, what I appeared in the secret place is seen. Because God is about to invade this place. This, this, this what I'm building ain't going to have no veil that separates man from the ark of God. We're going to create 24-7 worshipers and the worshipers are going to become the veil. But God's about to invade this place. Now Abraham's 75 years old when he meets Melchizedek and when he meets Melchizedek everything in his life begins to change. He then, he then begins to receive the promise of a son. Now now, now a 100 year old man I know that they have great, have great scientific in, in, inventions and we got pills and everything else to help us without going there. We got kids in here. You understand what I'm saying? But, but it, it's going to be hard for a 90 year old woman and a 100 year old man even with Percy Sledge on. You with me? But let me tell you something. It won't be that difficult for a 40-year-old woman and a 50-year-old man. Because when he tapped into Melchizedek, he tapped into life. And instead of decaying further, he started recessing back. Come on. When tapped into the fountain. Let's look at this. Let's look at this. Let's look at this right here. Go to the book of... Uh, Man, how do you write this down? All right, Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. It's right after the book of Malachi. You got it? When I met, when I met Catherine, she was, she was traveling with some people, was in a different circle than where I'd really come from. And so my revelation of, of uh, worship was a little different than what she was used to. Because at our church, you know, a lot of times back then, we were still singing both. We had to sing hymns to appease the ones that were paying for the building. <laughs> and we had to sing praise and worship so we wouldn't lose the young folks, you know? And we were singing, man, I remember this. We were singing the song, Send Him On Down. How many of you remember the song, There's a Healer in the House Today? Man, I have seen high heels fly from the stage. I'm telling you, I've seen high heels fly from the stage into the congregation from There's a Healer in the House Today. So... Catherine had been with this, around this couple for a great length of time. They were her spiritual parents. And um, they would just worship. They really wasn't worried about any, like, preaching. And at ours, we, 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 we worshiped, 
but now we was ready for the preaching, the people. And then, but you got to understand now, Israel never gathered around preaching. They gathered around the presence. Now, I believe in the value of the word. You can't be around me and not think that I'm not a word. I believe in the teaching of the word. The Bible says by the foolishness of preaching, men shall be saved. It don't say by the foolishness of worship, they shall be saved. It said by the foolishness of preaching, they shall be saved. So I believe in the preaching of the gospel. And I believe some of this stuff that when we come up, the Holy Ghost just took over the service. That's because that's he just wasn't studied to show himself approved. But I believe that there has to be an anticipation, a shift in the church and an anticipation to value the presence like we have valued the preaching of the word. Are you with me? And so when we, when we were at cutting edge and we were very young in our early 20s, <clears throat> there was never, I, I remember... I wouldn't say this all the time, but a good bit of the time, no one ever called the service to, er, to order. We, ne we never had like someone to go on the stage and, and, and give a pep talk and call the service to order. The ser because the worshipers were already that far engaged into the service because they, would, they were there an hour beforehand, which ours are here an hour and a half beforehand. But they were already there and, and it was just led into that. And so you, you notice people would be like this. They would be talking about football or the, the full point they killed on Saturday or something. You know what I'm saying? People were still like that. But there was an aroma in that house, and people was like, hey, we need to leave the deer stories alone. I mean, God's up in this place. You know what I'm saying? And people just would whatever. And we would worship, and there would, there was, there was people really wasn't like, man, when's worship going to be over so that we can hear the preaching of the word? We just went for it. And I'm just telling you, I believe that we're going to see such an increase of that in the days ahead. I don't believe that that's going to be reserved for Kansas City and what Mike Bickle's done. I believe that we're going to see this on a, on a, on a, on a scale all across, all across the land. I mean, it is globally, but I mean, I'm talking about in the South and other places of the United States. All right, you ready? Let's look at this in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6. I'm almost done right here. Verse 19 says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, sure and steadfast, and which enters the present and, and, and which enters the presence behind the veil. This is the only place the word forerunner is mentioned in scripture. Where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus. Jesus became a forerunner. What? To live life behind the veil. This is where God wants us. Where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus have becoming high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now you could go home and read this, but in 7, 8, 9, all of, from 5 all the way to 10, God talks about this man by the name of Melchizedek. Then he enters in to the great hall of faith and the people and what they did in Hebrews 11. So according to what we just read, Jesus was a forerunner to enter in behind the veil for you and I, giving us access unto God. That, that's, that's amazing that you have access unto God, full access unto God. You have full access unto God. I'll say it again. You have full access to the throne room of God. This, this is going to change the way we pray. Because we won't no longer pray stuff. We won't no longer pray the religious prayers that we pray. You know, God, please be with us as we drive down here to go eat. We realize that he is with us always. Come on, somebody. He never leave us nor forsake us. This is going to change the way, way we pray with authority from heaven. Come on, somebody. Because we're peering in to hear his voice, to make the decrees. This is what all of Zechariah 3 and all Zechariah 4 is about. And when it talks about the two branches and it talks about the the the... The, the branches and then it talks about the two, two trees that are standing there those two trees are the king and priest providing oil into the branches are you with me now Jesus has gone before us in the order of Melchizedek David peers in he sees it's not the Levitical order I'm not going to have rules and regulations in my house it's, this place is going to be open that the common man can experience the glory of God we're just putting a tent out over here and, and, and we're going to worship God 24-7 we're going to make decrees and we're going to declare what God is doing this is what he had 
God said, in the last days, I'm what? Going back to rebuild that tabernacle. It ain't nothing fancy, but what I want is what? I want a church that is burning 24-7 with worship, prayer, intercession, and kingly decrees. This is it. I'm going to read this statement again. Wrote this in June. The most powerful hindrance to heavenly worship being experienced today is the general passivity of your typical congregation. Many believers have never called a vision for contending for anything more than a paradigm in which the few on the platform are fully engaged and and proactive. While the many in the congregation are splayed into a wide spectrum that ranges from zeal to stupor. You know God can be in a place and we know it not. I'll say it again. God can be in a place and we know it not. I've witnessed this for myself. We were asked to go to the dedication of Catherine's mother's church. She's watching. She's going to kill me. I've always cut up with her mother. And... um. But she is a praying woman, I can tell you that. Y'all, we got so long to go when the average minister prays eight minutes a week, we got a long ways to go. Eight minutes a week. When I met Fios and had him in my house, we were talking, he said, let us pray. Let us worship. That's all he wanted to do was pray and worship. He said... Let's turn Holy Spirit TV on and we will watch clip after clip of Andreas Pisani laying a thousand people on the ground at one time under the power of God. We would get through eating. He said, let us worship. Let us pray. See, that's so, that's so uncommon. He began to tell me stories about Pastor Parsons. He said, Pastor, pray two-hour morning, two-hour evening. Two-hour morning, two-hour evening. When I was in India, we'd stay out sometime to 2 o'clock in the morning. There was a man there by the name of Mr. Matthews. Mr. Matthews woke up every day at 4 o'clock. He prayed from 4 to 7 by himself, and he woke his family up and prayed 7 to 8 with his family. Then he started the day. To be much for God, we must be much with God. So I'm invited to go to the dedication of this church. My whole time going into this church, my attitude was like, I cannot believe we got to go here. I cannot wait to get to our church where we worship. Because see, I thought it was about the style. There's a lot of people that clap their hands on Sunday morning that never worship. Because their hearts are far from him. Their minds is at Walmart, other places. I'm almost done. So we were singing these songs. And I was looking at my watch. Thinking, well, we just got about another hour because they only run an hour worshiping, preaching the whole thing, you know. And there was a guy stood up in the choir. He's going to be with the Lord now. And that man was weeping. And they let him have a microphone. And I mean, he was weeping. And he said, this is what he said. He said, the glory of God is in this house today like when they dedicated Solomon's temple. And he was weeping. And when he said that, the convicting power of God came all over me. And the first thing I heard was Jacob's voice when he said, God is in this place and I knew it not. What was the difference between me and him as he went looking for him and I was waiting to get out of that building? I immediately lifted my hands towards heaven and I said, God, I ask you to forgive me. It was a few years ago, Dusty and Clay and myself, we went to a Randy Clark meeting. 
And I was so ready to see how many people were hungry for God. And the people that I saw in the front with their hands reached out. I'll, ne I'll never forget Randy pointing at one and the power of God hit this man and surged him like a, like a, I mean, like he had grabbed a hold of a transformer. And Randy asked him, he said, where did he, where, where did he pastor? He said, I'm an Episcopal priest in Selma, Alabama, but I'm desperate for him. I wonder sometimes, has God just become too common to us charismatics that we just know how to just haphazardly just act in the presence of God? But friend, I'm telling you, when I'm alone with him and I feel him, I never take his presence for granted. I think it's amazing that he would come and commune with me, the God of heaven and earth. The King of Kings, the all-knowing, the omniscient, the omnipresent, King of glory would come. It's the great mystery of Psalms 8 where he says, What is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou would visit as him in Psalms 8? He said, When I consider the works of your hands and I see the angels and I see the cherubims and the seraphims, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou would visit as him? For you have made him a little lower than Elohim and you have crowned him with glory and honor and splendor. David peered in and he saw that conversation and he saw the angels speaking. And he said, God, when I look down on the earth, what is that that looks exactly like you? That you want to commune with him. So where the church is headed is not more programs. But it's a greater level of intimacy than we've ever known. And the church is going to come in love with him. Friend, when you, talk, when you look at the rapture of the church, what they display on the news does not determine when the rapture of the church is coming. I don't care how wicked it is. God doesn't look at the... I just want to preach it like it is. Your children heard word of language in this. God doesn't look at the whore to determine when he's going to send Jesus back to return to the earth. He looks at the condition of the bride. And it is when the bride has made herself ready. And Revelation says, when the spirit and the bride cry in unison, come Lord, come Lord. Come, Lord. It's when the veil of separation, we can't stand it any longer, not to get out of debt, not to be healed, not anything. we just in love with him. So, Father, I pray today. Lord, I pray today that you would help us. Come on, just stand up right here just for a moment. Come on, Adam. Just help me worship right here. Oh, yeah, 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 so, Lord. I want to challenge you on your personal time with the Lord. If you got 10 minutes, go to 30 minutes. If you got an hour, go to two hours. I'm not, you don't have to, man, just when I'm alone with God, I like a lot of old school worship. I'll go in there and just sing to the Lord. I love some old Clint Brown. First song he ever wrote. Lord, I want to be more like you. I want to be a vessel you work through. I want to be more like you. Jesus, I, I want to be more like you. I pulled through Hardy's this morning because my son wanted a steak biscuit. And she said, we don't have any steak patties. I said, oh, God. And I pulled around to the window, the Lord. And I said, I want to say I'm sorry. I said, I should have never had an attitude like that, but I am grateful that you got a chicken biscuit in this place. Because the Lord would have never said, oh, God. Why does that come from? Lord, I want to be more like you. I want to be a vessel 
you work through. I want to be more like you. Father, give us a hunger for the secret place. In the book of Acts, the Bible says that they had, they took notice that these men had been with God. It was an undeniable fact that they had been with Him. Lord, I bless your people today. I pray, Father God, that only you can. I can't wake up in the morning and say, God, I just want to be hungry. God, it takes, it takes you doing that in my heart. It takes, you, it takes you depositing that into my life. So this morning, I bless this congregation with a hunger for the secret place. I bless them with a hunger for the secret place. In the mighty name of Jesus. Listen to this, Tracy Eckhart, which is John Eckhart's wife, said this, that God told her when they planted the Dallas House of Prayer, said this, she said, if, <coughs> she said God told her, said, if you'll teach people how to pray, you'll never teach how to teach, you'll never teach people, have to teach people how to live. If you'll teach people how to pray, you will never teach them how to live. The church has tried to use religion to cut, the, to cut the symptoms off of the church without teaching us how to pray. If we would learn how to pray, we wouldn't have to be taught how to live. Come on, somebody. God will clean all of that stuff up in the secret place. Father, I bless, I bless the people today in the mighty name of Jesus. I just think that we should just respond to this word by lifting up our hands and say, God, fill my heart with the hunger for a place to pray. In the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the order that you're rising up on the earth today. In the mighty name of Jesus. Oh, we thank you, Lord. Come on, just worship him out of your heart for a moment. Oh, we worship you. In the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. God, I pray that you would put strong identity into our lives strong identity in our lives in the name of Jesus let us know who we are and whom we are in the name of the Lord Father we're not just Christians we are royal priesthoods unto our God and we thank you for that in the mighty name of Jesus amen and amen I bless you today friend God bless you we look forward to seeing you soon watch us Wednesday night God bless you we hope you enjoyed our message of the week. Thanks for joining us. Our passion at Cornerstone is our family atmosphere built on deep relationships. We want to connect with you. Please take a moment and download our app and connect with us on social media to stay updated with all things Cornerstone. We pray you have a wonderful week.